Uh, it's, a, it's a joy to uh, worship together. Uh, the, the Word of God says that uh, we are the light of the world. We're to shine like stars in the darkness. And if you, if you light a candle in the darkness, you can see it on the other end of the room, even a room this size in the darkness, you could see it. Um, but with the pandemic, it, it felt like there was a fog that had descended in the darkness. And it was hard to, to see which lights were where and how many lights were lit. And so just to be able to come to gather again and, and worship to gather, it's precious to see we're not alone and the lights are, are strongly lit. And so uh, it's a privilege as well just to be able to come in this way, to, 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 to speak to you in this way. It's an honor. Um, those of you who've gone through the Next Steps class, uh, it's not my class. Pastor Phil and Pastor Jason done a great job with that, that class. I encourage you to sign up if you haven't signed up for that yet. Um, they have done a fantastic job. I'm just the facilitator for that class, and it's a joy to be a part of that. But um, you know, if you've gone through that class, the prayer that I have for each one here, and I know they're, they're, they're the, it's the prayer of Pastor Phil and Pastor Jason as well, is that we become a church, a people of conviction, two convictions primarily, that the Word of God is the authority in our lives. Not just an authority, but the authority. That we're not just in this book, but under this book, that we're submitted to it. And number two, that the Holy Spirit is the most important partner in our journey. We don't leave home without him. And uh, that along, it takes prayer, it takes understanding of the gospel. But after those four, the gospel, prayer, Holy Spirit, Word of God, this message I'm going to bring this morning is, to me, one of the most important messages for us to understand, I believe, in our Christian journey. And that is how to overcome temptation. And the reason is because we all face it, and ultimately, we've all failed at it. We all fall to temptation. And one of the reasons why I'm passionate about this, just to give you background on my personal story, I grew up in a church. I uh, gave my life to Christ at an early age and was following him. I felt the call of God to go into full-time ministry, wanted to be a missionary. And uh, yet, as a young person, I was battling and failing in the area of pornography and sexual purity. And the struggle to be victorious and to be righteous and knowing that this was wrong and yet failing and failing and failing. And the tension of knowing that I can't go into full-time ministry with this as a secret in my life and a controlling sin. And it got to the point for me as a young person, and the reason why I know it's significant today is I know that uh, it's a battle for all young people, and not just young people, not just men, women, every age, this purity sexually. It's a private sin if it's pornography. It's internal. Nobody else knows about it. And the demons come and talk to you. And I, and I basically had said to myself, this Christianity thing that I grew up with, that I believed was true, was working for other people, but it wasn't working for me. And I uh, said, I don't know what other people are doing, but I know that I'm failing. And all the time, and I'm tired of coming to God, but with the same request for forgiveness, the same issue over and over and over again. And it just became irrelevant. So I said to myself, you know what, I, I'm, 
I'm not so sure this is true. It might be true for others, but it's not feeling very true for me. And I was ready to quit. I had a friend in high school, he was older than me, that uh, shared with me the, the, the battle that he was going through. I was too scared to t- share it with him, what I was dealing with. But uh, he went off to, to college, university, and uh, he became an agnostic. He, he quit. He gave up. And he couched his, his departure in, intellectual, in intellectual arguments and rationalizations. But I knew that the source of his giving up on Christianity was this moral dilemma that he could not win. So I knew the stakes were high. For whatever reason, grace of God and his sovereignty, God put it in me not to quit. It's not because I'm better than my friend. Or that I was perfect by any means. But I questioned who I was and who God had called me to be and what God had called me to do. And that's really the goals of the devil. Pastor Phil did a series on, on uh, the fact that the devil exists and he's real and we're in a battle. And the goals of the devil, 1 Peter 5.8 says that he wants to destroy you. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy you. He wanted to destroy me. He wants to turn us against God and to turn us from the works of God in us and through us. And according to Genesis 3, 1 to 5, you see in the garden, he wants us to question God. See, with Adam and Eve, he said, did God really say, you won't surely die? It's actually good for you. You actually want this. It's going to make you know good and evil. He causes us to question the goodness of God and the word of God. And it ultimately will lead to destruction. And it was a battle I didn't understand as a young person. But through fighting and the help of others, I gained over time the grace of a path to victory. Not that I was perfect or that I am perfect today by any means, but, but we are in a battle. Every one of us, when you come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you join the church, and you, you believe in the Word of God and prayer and the Holy Spirit, you are in a battle, and the devil wants to destroy you. He wants to turn you against God and destroy the works of God in you and through you. How do we overcome What is the plan of God? What is the path of God? I want to read a passage this morning that was huge for me, and I believe it's critical in understanding this journey um, and this issue. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 13. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 13. And I want to pray before I read God's Word. Heavenly Father, You know me. You know my journey. You know every one of us in this room. And you know everyone's journey. And your word says that every one of us has sinned and fallen short of your glory. We don't have access to you apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for that grace. That amazing, amazing grace. And I I ask that you open our eyes further to that amazing grace this morning and that you help those who are struggling through your word, through the path that you've brought me on. And Lord, continue to lead me in 
And Lord, I pray for this friend who turned away from you. Father, you love him. You know him. I pray you would hound him back. You know where he is right now. You'd hound him back to yourself. You don't want any of us to perish. And so I just pray, give us insight into this battle for the stakes are so high. I pray you'd speak to us this morning, Holy Spirit, through your word, through, through my testimony. If it's, if it's your will, Lord, I pray that you would use my words for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 13, he says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, Their bodies were scattered over the desert. And now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did. And were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did. And were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples. And were written down as warnings for us. On whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm. Be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you. Except what is common to man. And God is faithful He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God bless the reading of his word. In terms of uh, the passage, I have a couple of questions before I get into the path. What, um, What is true about every temptation that you see from the text? So when I read the text... I just open the floor. What what do you see is true about every temptation? Don't put up the answer just yet. (laughs) On the screen. What do you see is true about every temptation? Common. It's common to man. You're not alone. This is huge. It was huge for me in understanding that truth that, especially with sexual sin, pornography in particular, it's a private sin. You want to think, devil wants to isolate you, keep you thinking you're the only one dealing with this. You're not. It's common to man. God's word says it. What else? What else do you see? There's always a way of escape. We're going to come back to both of those points. There's always a way of escape. Usually it's at the beginning. <laughs> if you play around with it, it's going to bite you. But there's always a way of escape. And the other thing that, that I noticed as I was reading this is that even with all the resources, even with all the resources, you can still fall. The Israelites had all the resources. They had the rock that was Christ. You can go to church. You can read the Word. You can love the Word. You can have the Holy Spirit. You can do all the right things. You can still fall. But he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. So... Those are some truths about every temptation that are critical 
and understanding why this path is essential for us and how we fight. But uh, the second question is, why is temptation so appealing? Why do you think temptation is so appealing? Don't put it up yet either. So. <laughs> it's already up, I think. No. Why is it so appealing? There's lots of reasons, I think, why it's appealing to each one of us, but the Bible says that sin is fun. I used to do a survey with students. Says, does the Bible teach? And this question they always got wrong. Says, does the Bible teach that sin is fun? And I say, no, 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 no. Sin is gross. We wouldn't do it if it was gross, guys. <laughs> it's fun. There's pleasure. Satan front loads the fun, though, and the pay is way too much at the end. He front loads it. So, so to say it's not fun is, is, not, is being disingenuous. We, there is pleasure that comes through sin. It's why it's tempting. It is. The Bible says Moses restrained from the pleasures of sin for a season. He knew it was only a season. So he, he said no to it. But sin is fun. It, I put two things. It promises a pleasure that we're not presently experiencing. Or it promises deliverance from some pain or struggle in which we find ourselves. We want to escape. We want to escape. So it's pleasure that we're not presently experiencing and we're not wanting to wait on God's time for that pleasure to be experienced. We want to escape from some frustration or struggle in which we find ourselves, our state in life. So those are... Three, uh, two things that I see, you can think about others as you meditate on it, but I think it's important to, to understand that uh, it's, it's appealing. It's very appealing. It's hard, very hard to say no to. One of the other key areas and, and insights that led me to this path toward victory in my battle for purity, and that's just as an aside before we go into the path, I want to say that that's what God's word calls for in terms of sexuality, is purity. It's not, it's not virginity until marriage. It's not abstinence, simply. It's not faithfulness in marriage, simply. It's purity in marriage. And when the standard is purity, we're all toast, no matter what age we are or what status we're in. When the standard is purity, we're all toast. And this was, this was a, a, a critical point for me, is to understand what God's standard was. I may have been a virgin when I got married, but I was by no means pure before I got married. And according to God's word, I wasn't. Because he said he who looks lustfully at somebody has already committed sexual, sexual immorality with that person. So when it came to my friend Pierre, who was a homosexual prostitute on the streets of Abidjan before he came to Christ and got married, Pierre and I are both equal at the cross. We've got to be on our knees. And we need the grace of God, both of us, and walk in repentance towards what God's standard is, not our standard. There can be no self-righteousness in me. I have no stones to throw when it comes in that regard, I have to kneel and put my face on the ground before the cross because I am not pure without Christ. So purity puts us all at the foot of the cross, no matter what our status or sexual battle, 
But we have to submit to the word of God. But there are, are three areas that are common to all. So the Bible says there's three, there, temptation is common to all. There's three areas, not just sexuality. And I, I grew up in a Christian home, but I wasn't the only one with a battle. My sister battled food. She was anorexic and bulimic. And uh, her, her battle was more public. You could visually see it in her body. It's being transformed. The devil was destroying her. Mine was private. I was being destroyed as well, but it wasn't public. But food, sex, food, and speech are three, three areas that are common to all. Any counselor will tell you much of their time is spent over words spoken that are very, very hurtful, or words that weren't spoken, that we wished had been spoken. James 3 says, anyone who controls their tongue controls their whole body. And none of us control our whole body. None of us control our tongue. So I had prayed, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. I asked for deliverance, went to the altar. Pastor Phil talked about the altar back in the day. Went to the altar, prayed for deliverance. Deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. And it was when I was praying that God revealed to me, John, you're fighting the wrong way and asking for the wrong thing. I'm not going to deliver you from this. You've got to manage it. There are things in these three areas in particular that we will not be delivered from ever. You can't be delivered from these. You can be delivered from alcohol. You can be delivered from drugs, although most of the time not. Most of the time it's a horrific battle to overcome. Sometimes, though, we have testimonies. But these three, you're not going to be delivered from. And I had to wake up and fight differently as a result of that revelation. I had to wake up and say, it's my responsibility to fight. And the reason why is because God gave us these before the fall. Before Adam and Eve fell, these were part of our world. God gave us the ability to speak and to praise him. He made us to praise him and to encourage one another. But we use our tongues to destroy one another. He made us to eat food. We ate food before the fall. But now it can destroy us. And he gave us that sexual drive before the fall. All three of these have been twisted and contorted and, and, and transformed by the fall, by our sinful nature. But God gave us these. He's not going to deliver us from something he gave us. They're good. They're gifts from him. So I had to wake up and say, it's my responsibility. I have to manage it. And that's a totally different prayer than please deliver me. It's different. How God in his grace led me, number one, to never, ever, ever give up, as Winston Churchill said. <laughs> never, ever, ever give up. We have to believe, according to what we just read, that there's always a way out, that there's an escape. The devil would come to me, and he would say to me, I got you every time. You're a loser, man. Every time I get you in this context, you're going to fall. Every time. We have to believe God's word over the devil's word when it comes to these issues. Food, sex, speech, and not quit. Never, never, never lose hope. Believe me, there were many, many times when I felt hopeless. That 
Choosing to never give up is essential in this battle. The second point is that we need to accept the fact that overcoming will always be in a horrific battle. 1 Timothy 4.7 says to train yourself like an athlete to be righteous, to be, to be godly. And that's hard work. And I remember getting to this point, I, I, I gave this message in Toronto to uh, university students and there was a young lady sitting in the front row who reminded me a lot of my sister. Uh, she was skin and bone and uh, and I, and I knew she probably was struggling with anorexia or bulimia or both. And I got to this point, she was taking notes, and I said, accept the fact that overcoming will always be a horrific battle. And she just blurted out. She said, well, thanks a lot. That's hopeful. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, it goes back to wanting to be delivered. I wanted it to be gone. I wanted it to be done with. I don't want to deal with it anymore. It was destroying me. And this young lady wanted it to be gone too. The frustration was overwhelming. But accept the fact that overcoming will always be a horrific battle. Now, with that said, I want to say, your battle is not your identity. Don't let the devil go there either. You are a child of God. That is your identity. You're a warrior child of God. You need to keep getting back up in the fight. You will always have a fight. Every one of us, according to God's word, has areas of weakness. And the devil knows those and how to use those. Whereas the tongue, we lash out at somebody. Or food or sexual sin. I didn't think I had a problem with food until I tried fasting. <laughs> and then I realized how much I eat emotionally. And uh, so food is a battle. Some, of us, some are more destructive than others. All of them will destroy us out of control. Some of them are more obvious and in front than others. Show visibly. But we all have weaknesses and we all need to be aware and engaged in the battle. Pastor Phil talked last, last Sunday about the kingdom of God. God's rule in us. Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. And we need to submit to his way. And uh, Third thing, we need to identify the worst sin and get strategic. What is your battle? What is your battle? These first three steps are critical in, in understanding how to overcome. I had hoped, well, maybe when I get married, maybe this, maybe that. And I was talking to my youth leader, who was one of the few people that I actually confessed and asked help for besides my family. And he said to me, you know, you know John, it's, it's actually harder in marriage than before marriage. I just blurted out, well, thanks a lot. That's hopeful. <laughs> like the young lady in Toronto. But uh, it's a battle because the standard is an abstinence. And I had to wake up to that. It's purity. You have to honor somebody else. And it's, it's, it's purity. When we understand that, it's like, oh, man, I'm going to be fighting this all my life because the world is fighting us all our lives. So you need to... Be in, and in that struggle, get specific. What day of the week is it? What time of the day is it? Are you alone? Are you with people? When it's sexuality, if it's pornography, you're probably alone. Maybe you need to get out with people. Food can be with people or alone, binging in the middle of the night. Speech, it's not always with people. Often it's with people, but not always. You can be in your car in traffic. <laughs> 
Yes, we need to go there. <laughs> but uh, need to get specific. One of the ways the devil was getting to me was talking in generalities. He said, you always fail. You'll never win. There's the generalities that he would talk in my head, and that would be my, my self-talk as well, just discouraging me. And 1 Timothy 4.16 was a huge verse for me in understanding this battle. Paul tells Timothy, his young son in the faith, he says, keep close watch over your life and your doctrine. Keep close watch over your life and your doctrine. And I realized I grew up in a home where I knew what I believed, but I didn't know me. I didn't know myself. And understanding where I was and what I was doing. And as I fought, I started to learn about myself. And at its core, it was about control, not about sex. It was about control. There's other areas that I had to deal with too besides just control, but that was huge. When life feels out of control, we take control through food, through speech, through sexual misconduct. We lash out. The bottom line is we need to repent. I needed to repent and trust God's sovereignty, God's rule, God's plan, not my own. I wanted it my way. God's like, no, it's not going to be best for you. You're going to destroy yourself. So those first three are critical. Number four, develop a plan. Develop a plan. For me, it was avoidance. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee youthful lusts. Flee. Develop a plan for avoidance. If you struggle with food, easy example, classic example, if you struggle with donuts, you shouldn't apply at Dunkin'. <laughs> it's not a good idea. There's, there's a place for where quoting scripture and singing songs is, is useful and helpful. You know, the, the song, This is How I Fight My Battles. When you're in Dunkin' Donuts and you struggle with donuts, singing that song is not going to help you. You need to get out. If you don't get out, you're still going to eat that darn donut. <laughs> so you need to do scripture. You need to do some of the songs we sing, not just sing them or quote them. Get out. I needed to get out. I couldn't go in stores with magazine racks by myself. I couldn't go in video stores by myself. My family knew that. I said, okay, John's going to sit in the car. But it's gotten a whole lot more complicated today. You don't have to go anywhere. It's right on your phone. It's pervasive today. Pray for the youth in particular. But the sexualization of our culture is ubiquitous, not just the youth. This pornography subculture in schools today is unbelievable. Christian schools and public schools, it's there. It's hidden, but it's there. It's one of the reasons I have covenant eyes on all my devices. It's a program that sends an accountability partner report of everything I've seen, just a report card of what I've looked at. It can go on your phones, tablets, everything. CovenantEyes.com, great tool. There's other tools, but Covenant Eyes is a tool that I use. Develop a plan for avoidance. A friend in Texas just destroyed his computer. He smashed it. He lost his job because he was looking at pornography on the job. He was able to get another job that didn't require a computer. That's almost impossible today. So avoiding a computer or a smartphone is almost impossible. But there's a lot of apps, like Covenant Eyes, out there to help restrict 
A computer is a tool. A phone is a tool. You can't always avoid the tool, but you can add tools to help you avoid the temptation that comes across the tool. So develop a plan. Flee. Avoid. If it's speech, you may need to avoid certain people who bring it out of you. But you need to develop a plan. If it's a brother or sister in Christ who you end up struggling with, with, with words, you may need to sit down and, and, and repent and ask that person to forgive you and say, I, I want to do life differently. I don't want to keep talking like this. It's not right. Make it about you, not about them. But commit to yourself and to God to get serious and have a plan in the next three days. That's step number five. If you're here and you're battling, or if you've felt like quitting or maybe quit, but you're here, it's a good sign that you're here. Get it done now, today, in the next three days. Sign up for Covenant Eyes before you leave. It's like $15 a month. It's not perfection. It's a plan. It's a plan. For me, um, well, let me say, for my sister, if you give three meals a day to somebody who is in the extreme stage of anorexia and bulimia, you'll kill them. It's not, you have to, it's a long plan. So when talking about a plan, it takes time when they've destroyed their body in that way. So we had a plan of sitting with her for an hour and a half after a meal so she wouldn't throw up. It takes a commitment. It's hard. For me, when we're talking victory, one of the things the devil had me feeling was that I, I had read about the victorious life, as I said, that you're supposed to be able to walk in obedience to God and purity, and I wasn't living it, and I knew it. I could act in church. I could act in church. Unlike my sister, who was more public, I could act in church, and nobody would know. But I knew in my private world, and so the feeling was crushing me, and it was burdening me emotionally, and one of the things that helped me in my battle was a chart. My battle against the devil for, for victory was a chart. Every day listed out from zero to ten, I would chart my thought life. Zero being bad day, ten being victorious, awesome day. And I would write it out and have it graphed. And I'd say, okay, three out of the, ten, out of the seven days, I blew it. But four out of the seven days, the devil didn't get me. And I would talk to the devil, talk back to the devil, talk back to the demons that were talking to me. I'd say, all right, see those three days that I failed? They're circled in the blood of Jesus. They're forgiven by God. The other four, you don't always get me because four days out of seven, you didn't get me, bugger. So you can get out of my face, get behind me, Satan. I had to talk back like that to, and get specific, but it took until I got specific and started to really understand myself and what I was going through. The next week, two days, Five days were better. It would go back and forth to be able to see it concretely and say, okay, I'm feeling little by little over time, months, there needs to be perspective on the battle that I'm starting to gain victory and get more consistent in the battle. As I said, with food, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen over, overnight with speech either. There's a lot of times when you start studying yourself, when it comes to speech, it's about anger and other sources of issues that come up, and that's not going to be resolved overnight. It's going to be time. It's not perfection. It's time. Repentance, confession, fighting. Confes con repentance, confession, 
fighting. God is patient, but he wants us to be fighting. It's not going to be overnight. Develop a plan in the next three days. For me, it was charting to be able to see it concretely, fight back specifically, be able to speak back to the devil who was fighting me and telling me, you're nothing, man. You're nothing because of this. You may want to do things for God, but you're not going to. It's serious. The sixth step is probably the most dicey of the seven because one of the areas we struggle in is the tongue. But you need to tell another believer. Tell another believer. Ask for help. Get accountability. If you tell the wrong person, it can destroy you. Or destroy things, not you, but things because of the tongue. So you have to be wise. It's one of the reasons why I didn't say anything. As a young person, I was afraid. And the first time I said something outside my family and outside my youth pastor was at Moody Bible Institute in a dorm with guys at a prayer meeting. And I asked for prayer and accountability. None of them said anything. But I knew I wasn't the only one. I knew most of them were battling it because I knew the Word of God, if not all of them were battling it. But it started something in that room and it started something in me. The power of the secret was broken. The devil wants you to be isolated. He wants you isolated. He wants you to feel like you're only one. I had a hard time doing it in my local church. We didn't have men's group or, or celebrate recovery back then. But it was when I confessed and repented to the small group that its power started to break in me in another way. Yeah, I was fighting all through high school, but when I started to share my story is when the power broke because I was confessing it and no one could shoot me for it. Nothing in the closet. No closet to hide. Wide open. You can shoot me. But it's forgiven by the blood of Jesus. It's an important step. If not the most important after confessing to God, 1 John 1, 9, precious, precious verse. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is not fatigued, even though we might be, with coming to him and asking for forgiveness all the time. He's not. He said, how many times should we forgive somebody? We had disciples asked Jesus that. He said, 70 times 7. That's God speaking. He knows what we're made of. But it's, if it's not the, 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 the most important, it's, it's the second most important after not quitting. Find someone you can open up to and say, I need help. Pray with me. You're not alone. You're not alone. One of the things my father did, and my father was one of the people I went to and asked for help from. I had the grace of having a father who didn't shoot me when I told him what I was dealing with. He chose to help me. He said, I battle it too. He said, this is what I do. He helped me with charting. Helped me set up the chart. But then he never asked to see the chart. And that irritated me. I was like, dude, you're a, you're a leader in the church, man. Is this what you do? Just abandon somebody who's asked for help? You just leave him be? You know, you show him how to do it and then leave him? He would ask me time to time how I was doing, but he would never ask me to see that darn chart. I'm like, man, made me mad. Why didn't he ask? Later on, as I thought through it, why didn't he ask to see my chart? What would I have done if he had asked to see my chart? I would have lied. Right? I would have fudged the chart. That's what we all do. We want to make ourselves look better than we are. Because the battle wasn't his. It was mine. It was mine. 
He didn't want to get in the way. It's one of the things we can do in accountability is you can actually become the enemy if you get too overbearing in the process. The point is to come alongside, walk alongside. But if all of a sudden they're lying, it's not helpful. Now you've got another issue. Because we, we all do it. The battle isn't yours, it's theirs if they come to you. So if someone comes to you and asks for help with food, speech, pornography, be careful how overbearing you might be. They, they may be frustrated, like I was, but ultimately you can't fight their battle for them. When my parents took my sister to a counselor, the counselor said to them, look, I, I'd love to help, but I can't help your daughter until she wants help, until she sees she has a problem and wants help. I'm just taking your money. Powerful. Powerful. There's things that we could do in the meantime to sit, keep her alive, but it was, it was until she chose to get help. How we come alongside is critical. We can't become the enemy, creating another issue. We can ask, are you charting? Are you? Obviously, that can be lied about too, but, but praying for that person, covenant eyes. If, you, if somebody chooses to, to, to ask you to, to be their accountability partner on covenant eyes, be careful not to jump to conclusions too quickly. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Lastly, pray strategically and memorize strategically. 1 John 1.9, as I quoted earlier, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 Corinthians 10.13, where we just read, there's no temptation taking you, such as is common to man. God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but always will make a way of escape. So, and then Proverbs 24, 16, which I'll quote in just a little bit, but never believe that the word of God and prayer are not incredibly significant in the process of victory. They are. Just look at Jesus' example. He used scripture. He knew scripture. But what I was doing as a young person was I was trusting my memory. I, I had memorized scripture. I could quote scripture. I was trusting my memory. I wasn't evaluating the battle. And I wasn't evaluating me, as I said, the battle in front of me. I was dropping depth charges in a battleship, and I was having an aerial attack. And then I was blaming God. I was saying, God, where are you? Your word says. And he said, yeah, my word says flee, buddy. Flee. <laughs> Get out. I had to be aware of the battle. I had to set up boundaries that are there to this day. Not because I'm strong, but because I'm weak. And his mercy and grace and truth has made me able to move and live a more victorious life. I have to acknowledge my weaknesses and live a repentant life. The Christian life is one of repentance. Anyone who tells you differently, according to 1 John, is lying. Say that again. The Christian life is one of repentance. Anyone who tells you differently is lying, according to 1 John. I will always have a battle. You will always have a battle. There is a pathway to overcoming. Confessing and fighting again. There's going to be times where it's going to be more intense and less intense. Be a student of yourself as well as the Word of God. 
an application I encourage you to memorize, John 1, 1 John 1, 9. Proverbs 24, 16 says, A righteous man falls seven times but gets back up. It's a great verse to memorize. How do you define righteousness? It's not perfection. It's getting up, fighting, confessing, getting back up every time you fall. Righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. Les Miserables, the, 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 the play, Victor Hugo, there's two characters, Javert, has an understanding of righteousness. It's the law. His understanding was so rigid about it, it destroyed him. And then you have Jean Valjean, who wasn't perfect, kept falling, but the grace of God was awakened in him through Jesus Christ and moved forward differently. There will be battles. This year, in this church, every one of us in this room, every one of us will fail in one of these three areas. It's not being prophetic. It's just being real. It's being real. Every one of us is going to fall. How we respond will determine whether and how we walk with the Lord. We need to walk humbly, not self-righteously. Humbly before the Lord. The, the church, this church has been a church culture of grace, mercy, and truth. We want to maintain that and repentance. The repentant life is a Christian life. And pray that we build this pathway to gather toward victory as believers. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you, you chose in your grace and your mercy to take my mess and make it into a message for your glory. Lord, you know how long it was I could never have imagined my mess being used as a message for you. And I know there's people in this room who could not imagine what they would call their mess being used as a message for your glory. But that's what you are in the business of doing, Father, through your grace and mercy and through the church, the Holy Spirit and your word. Father, I pray that you would breathe hope and to those who are, are struggling, wanting to quit, that you would, you would breathe plans, strategic plans in the next day, today in the next three days. This would not be a message that would just go to the wayside, that would be acted upon, because it's your word that we need to act upon, not my, my words, it's yours. Father, that by the end of this year, this battle, that each one of us is facing, whether it's speech, food, sexual purity. Father, we would be able to look back as a church, small groups, and say, wow, look what God has done. That those who don't feel victorious would begin to feel and see, yes, God is changing me, little by little, into his glory and his likeness. Father, I thank you for your patience, for your power 
continues to, to enrich us and help us. Guide us now for your name's sake, for your son's sake. In Jesus' name I pray.